You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. A reading from Exodus 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leading Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haroth, between Midgol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's hearts, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them, and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go, and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, and took his army with him. He took six hundred of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of King Pharaoh of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites, and overtook them as they camped by the sea, near Pi-Haroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians, marching after them. They were terrified, and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water, so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been travelling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, 
The cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hands over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel, Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ken. I'm an elder here at Davron Prezi. And I'm going to be preaching to you today. Um, you might be able to find the um, outline of the sermon. It's called The Lord Has Delivered Us. Um, it's on our website on the welcome card page. Uh, so I'd invite you to take that out. Um, I'm going to pray for us before we get into the sermon today. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we do pray to thank you that you are a faithful and gracious and powerful God, Lord. Uh, Lord, we do pray that uh, you would help us as we look at your word this day, uh, that you would open our hearts up uh, to receive your word. Uh, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this year, COVID-19 has set some unprecedented times for everyone. Uh, more recently, with hotspots, lockdown 2.0, stage 4 restrictions looming, I mean, lots of people in our church community have been affected. Thankfully, many less of us have been infected, none that I know of at least. But maybe it's strained our relationships, our careers, our plans, maybe even our hopes and our dreams. So the question I have for you today is in the midst of all this uncertainty and change, who is your Lord? Who or what do you fear most? Or maybe to put it another way, who do you trust in most? Do we trust in our jobs or our financial status? Or do we trust in our government or in our hospital system or our education systems? Or do we fear the government's decisions, you know, maybe for being reprimanded for not socially distancing adequately, not wearing a mask or, or accessing government benefits or something? Or is your trust in your toilet paper? Maybe a bit of a smelly lord? Well, you know, or in your supply of your baking flour because your local patisserie's closed down and you have to bake your own bread now, has to be sourdough rye, you know. Or is your Lord your internet connection or maybe your family relationships? Or do we struggle and fear ourselves the most? 
maybe our own health issues, our own identity, our own insecurities of who I am. I know for me at times, all the above are true. One example of this is where we lost power at home recently. Uh, it's midway through the school holidays, all the joys of COVID-19 and all. And we, we lost electricity for a couple of days. And it was a really good eye-opener for me for where I'm putting my trust in. And that's why our passage today is so vital, so important. Uh, because God shows us more of who he is. Uh, because it's a reminder that the Lord has delivered us. So who do you most fear? Who do you put your trust in? Uh, maybe if you've missed the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and now God's redeemed his people from Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb, and then he's given us directions about these various worship festivals for the Israelites. Uh, there was the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and then there was the consecration of the firstborn. And this was to help them to always remember their redemption. Their, their redemption. And now we're picking up the story with Israel on their way out of Egypt. You see, it's the final statement of how God delivers his people. It's their salvation story. And today we're going to look at today's passage by asking this question, who is your Lord? And today we see that the Lord has delivered his people in three ways. Uh, the Lord's delivered his people faithfully, uh, the Lord's delivered his people graciously, and the Lord has delivered his people powerfully. Uh, so the first section is uh, from chapter 13, uh, verse 17 to 14, 4. And it shows us that the Lord's delivered his people faithfully, so we can trust him, even when we don't understand his ways. So continue with me. We see here that God leads his people in verse 17, not through the most easy and the direct path to the promised land, but through a more difficult route, isn't it? Now, there are apparently at least three major roads from Egypt to Canaan. Uh, the most direct of these routes would have been straight through the Philistine country. Uh, but God, in his gracious wisdom, doesn't choose this path for his people. Yet his plans do come to fruition, don't they? I wonder if you've ever questioned God, God, why is life so hard? God, why do you give me this health issue? Or why do you make me struggle at work or in my relationships? Now see here that God knew what was best for Israel, and he did what was best for Israel. In verse 18, they, they go through the desert road towards the Red Sea. You might see in the footnote there that this is literally the Sea of Reeds. Uh, this may have been a tributary of the Delta Nile or some part of the actual Red Sea, and no one really knows, and there's lots of speculation online about this, but the exact location is irrelevant. What's more important is that this was a detour. It was a different journey to the most direct and the seemingly easiest path. In verse 18, we see that the Israelites were ready for battle. Now, this doesn't mean that Israel had any established and trained special armed forces to deploy or something, uh, but it does hint here of this uncertainty and these challenges that Israel were anticipating on this very dangerous trek to the promised land. Uh, this was no kind of weeky, cruisy bike ride down the capital city trail. It was more like doing tough mudder for 40 years on end. It wasn't going to be an easy journey. Uh, the terrain would be undulating, there'd be dangerous wildlife, even bandits out there that they'd have to deal with. It was going to be a hard and a dangerous journey. Now in verse 19, the subject turns back to Moses. Moses carrying out Joseph's bones. 
might seem odd to stick this in here, but this was really important as it reminds us of why this is occurring. It reminds us that Joseph's trust in the God and the blessings that come from God, it's a visual symbol of this hope put into action. It reminds us of their heritage and identity as God's chosen people. And more importantly, it reminds us that God is a faithful God. You might want to turn back with me to Genesis 50. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 and 25. It says that then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on an oath uh, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath. And he said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry out my bones from this place. You see, the Lord is faithful, isn't he? And he's now come to aid his people, Israel. Now, chapter 13 ends with God. God is this pillar of cloud uh, to guide and protect Israel by day. And God is a pillar of fire to guide and protect Israel by night. You see, God comes close to his people, manifested as his pillar of cloud and fire uh, to help support them. Verse 22 states that God never left his place in front of the people. And the same is true of us today, isn't it? God's always with us. By the power of his spirit, he's always in front of us. He's always guiding and protecting his people. As invisible or distant as he may seem at times, God's always with us. Always protecting, always guiding, always helping us. And just as he never left Israel, he also never leaves us as his people too. Uh, Exodus chapter 14 uh, then starts with God's prophecy that Israel should trap themselves to trap Pharaoh. Now, as he previously mentioned, uh, he reiterates again that God will harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, why? Well, the reason's in verse 4, isn't it? And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now, remember back to Pharaoh's mocking questions. For example, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, where Pharaoh says, Who is your Lord? And now Pharaoh is about to know who the Lord is. You see, God's purpose is to reveal himself to all people, to bring glory to his name, to demonstrate who he is to everyone, and to demonstrate that he is the sovereign Lord over all things. He's the biggest and most powerful. He's in control of all things. And we must know that he is the Lord. He's Yahweh, the I Am. And note at the end of this section that Israel were obedient to God, weren't they? Are they did just as they were told? I mean, they would have known that they were now not only taking this long road, but now they're also doubling back on themselves and putting themselves at additional risk. Even if they weren't trained warriors, they would have known that this was a dangerous tactical move. But they continued to trust and obey Moses and God. So this, fun, this uh, first section is all about God. All about how God leads his people out of Egypt it's about how God directs his people on the right path. And not the, not the fast path, but the good and the right path. It's about how God has plans and purposes for how he guides his people. About how the Lord delivers his people faithfully. So we can trust him, even when we don't fully understand his ways. And God draws near to his people physically in this pillar of cloud and fire. He protects, he comforts, he guides them. So is this a God that you would want, or do you prefer to choose your own way? Do you think you can trust in a God even though there may be challenges, even though there might be struggles and pains in your own life journey? 
even though life is tough, even through the detours or, or the two steps backwards in life, do you think there is a God who has a plan and purpose for you? You see, Exodus is all about who God is. And he's a God who wants to know us. He wants to care and protect and to guide us. And he's always active, always in control, always one step ahead, never leaving us on our own. So I'm not sure about you, but this is definitely a God that I want. And he's the Lord, he's the faithful God that we all need. And the Lord delivers his people faithfully so we can trust him even when we don't understand his ways. The next section shows us how the Lord delivers his unworthy people graciously. This section shows us that the Lord delivers his people by his grace, not that anyone's worthy of this deliverance. There's exhibit A and exhibit B here. From verse 5, exhibit A, it's Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You see, now he changes his mind. He's full of anger, full of rage. He takes his army and he pursues God's people. Now remember, this is the might and grandeur of Egypt, the might of the world in their day and age. Maybe today it's a bit like something like Donald Trump's Twitter account or something. It's Pharaoh's chariots demonstrating his wealth, his status, his physical power. But they also demonstrate his immense and overly confident pride here, don't they? He's chasing down about one million slaves. I mean, if you do the math, it's like 1,000 slaves per chariot. He's a bit outnumbered here. And why? Well, Pharaoh turns his back on his word from earlier, doesn't he? For example, in Exodus 12, 31, where he said, Leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. But now in, in chapter 14, verse 5, I mean, Pharaoh appears jealous because they've let Israel go from serving us. You see, he again demonstrates that he isn't convinced that Yahweh is the Lord. He still wants Israel to be serving him, not the Lord. And by verse 9, he traps them. His heart full of this, full of pride and anger and rage. His heart fully hardened towards God. Despite the ten plagues, despite the angel of death on his people, even on his own family, I mean, Pharaoh is still unable to see the God of Israel. And what's Pharaoh's problem? Well, it's his hard heart, isn't it? It's his inability to see who the Lord really is, despite all the warning signs that's been provided to him. Can you relate to Pharaoh? And maybe in your own pride or self-confidence, do you have a hard heart towards the Lord? Exhibit B is Israel. Israel, from verse 10, Israel see this mighty Egyptian army approaching, and then there's this immense fear, isn't there? There's lo they're losing their heart. They're crying out in despair. They've lost all hope. See in verse 11. They say, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? And in verse 12, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I mean, here is Israel, God's people who have forgotten who God is. In their fear and despair, they managed to justify their previous oppression and slavery and even Pharaoh's genocide with this warped sense of reasoning. It's like they've been sucked back into the comforts and familiarities of their previous torture or something. I mean, this is God's people accusing their God. They've forgotten what God has done, what he said he will do. God's people who have forgotten their faithful God. The God who's been with them this whole time. And what's worse, this is not the last time. 
And Exodus 16, later on, Israel again say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. I mean, there we sat around eating pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us to the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I mean, it seems so delusional in hindsight, doesn't it? But maybe can you relate here? Can you relate to Israel? Do you ever lose hope or, or cry out in despair? I know sometimes I do. Uh, but we're reminded here that even God's people lapse sometimes, don't we? We forget God. We forget our past slavery to sin. So I think it's important to remember that God's people do despair. And Moses' response is gold, isn't it? I see in verse 13 and 14, he commands Israel to do three things. Three things. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and be still. So firstly, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not worry. Uh, secondly, stand firm, stay strong, don't run away, hold your ground. And thirdly, be still, be at peace, take a breath, lift your eyes off the worries of your own life and put them on the Lord, who's above all your own circumstances and, and he's always been faithful to you. Uh, verse 14 says that this is because we see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you, so be still. And you know, it's hard to stand firm and to be still. I think it's easier said than done. Uh, the normal stress response is fight or flight. You know, we either try and run away and escape the situation, or we try and fix it with a solution and do something about it. A coronavirus might be a great example of this. We're either trying to hide away in our homes, maybe isolate our lives from this virus-inflicted world around us, or maybe we're trying to escape away to our next holiday destination, you know, the one that we can't currently have. Or we're actively trying to work out how to change things, how to mend things, how to fix things. But we always want to do something about it, you see. Oh, but the Lord speaks to us today regarding our deliverance, and he tells us to do not be afraid, to stand firm, and to be still. And now there's two people and two problems here. There's Pharaoh and his hard hearts, and there's Israel and their despair. So the question I have for you is which one of these two people are worthy of the Lord's deliverance? Well, neither option's great, is it? There's no one worthy. It's fully by the grace of God that he delivers his people. God's people are still stuck in their own worries, their own fears, their own way of trying to do things. And sometimes we do this at church too, don't we? We try and plan lots of things. We try and fix up our problems. We try and grow our ministry teams. Now, these things can be good, don't get me wrong, but I think this is also a timely reminder that there is really only one solution to deliverance, and that is God. God, God wins, and by his grace, he delivers, not because we're in any way worthy of that. Now, Moses asked the people to do these three things. Do not be afraid, stand firm, be still. Uh, but there's really only one solution, isn't there? And that is God, trusting and relying that God's plans will come to fruition, that God will do just as he says and deliver his people by his grace. And so that brings us to our third point today, uh, that the Lord delivers his people powerfully. Uh, so we should fear and trust in him. Finally, we get to the epic scene, scene three. This is the end game. This is the all-important climax of the story today where we see that the Lord delivers Israel from Egypt to bring himself glory. 
Uh, it seems odd a bit in verse 15 here. I mean, God seems to almost be reprimanding Moses for his inaction or something. But I remember this is Moses. This is God's reluctant servant. He wasn't ready to commit to God at the burning bush. Uh, he had these uncircumcised, faltering lips. This is a man who wasn't at all confident that people would want to listen to him. And now Moses commanded it yet again to lead yet again, lead his people with the impossible. It's to take them through the sea. God's like, what are you waiting for? What are you doing? Go and save them. Just bring them through the sea. I mean, maybe it'd be like God expecting us today, you know, to escape to New Zealand or something by crossing the Tasman Sea to escape COVID-19. It'd be like God saying, what are you waiting for? Just go walk through the Tasman Sea. But even at this point, Moses demonstrates how Israel still falters in understanding God's power. In verse 17 to 18, God again predicts this hard heart of Pharaoh. And he also states here that he would judge, Israel, judge Egypt in the sea. Why? Well, the reasons in verse 18 that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. The Lord deserves to be glorified, and God wants to be known by all people. You see, he's given many chances to Pharaoh, many signs and miracles, ten plagues, even death itself. But Pharaoh did not relent, did he? And God, as a just God, he'll be sovereign over all things. He will not let sin go unpunished. He'll bring glory to himself. And in verse 19, the angel of the Lord protects Israel here. And now there's some debate about who this angel exactly is, but I think this is the same angel that we saw in Exodus 3 at the burning bush, uh, potentially also the same person that we saw that visited Abraham in Genesis 18 too. Uh, my opinion is that this is Jesus, Jesus pre-incarnate. It's God with us, separating the enemy and protecting his people. Uh, then for the epic scene, uh, this is in verse 21. And now this always reminds you of the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt. Uh, hopefully some of you have seen that movie. I had it on VHS back in the day. And now where Moses stretches out his staff, you know, and the seas divide into these walls of water, these massive pillars of water on the left and on the right, and there's this dry ground below. And as the storm brews, the lightning strikes. I mean, you can see these sea creatures, these fish and the whales swimming through the walls of these waters. It's almost like being in a giant aquarium at SeaWorld or something, like Israel on holidays, only that their enemy was chasing them down in hot pursuit with its power of these 600 chariots. But in verse 25, see that God jams the chariots. They get stuck, they become hard to maneuver. You see, the Lord is greater than the strength and power of Egypt, isn't he? He is greater than the grandeur and wealth of what this world can offer. The glory of Egypt's powerful army is undone. Their pride is turned to shouts of despair. They want to run away, but and they've now realized who the Lord is. That the Lord who is fighting for Israel, the Lord who has his people's back. It's the powerful Lord. But it's too late. God destroys them. In verse 28, it says that not one of them survives. You see, full judgment is brought on Pharaoh with the destruction of his entire army and even his pride and his power too. On the other hand, we see Israel's delivered. They see their enemies destroyed and they know that they're saved. You see, in, in verse 31, it says that when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, 
the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You see, the Lord uses judgment and destruction to powerfully deliver Israel. He's the Lord. He has full power over all creation, over the seas, over the waters that judge yet saves. The Lord delivers his people through the mighty act of power, and he is worthy of all worship. Now let's just pause here and note a couple of things in this third section. Uh, there's two powers with two outcomes. There's Pharaoh, Pharaoh who's annihilated, who continued to turn his back against God, who continued to harden his heart despite all the mercies and grace that God had displayed. And in the end, his power comes to fatality, doesn't it? I mean, the best that this world can offer is no match for the powerful deliverance that only comes from the Lord. And then there's also the power and might of the Lord who delivers his people, who brings salvation to all Israel, all of Israel, the young, the old, all, all of them, who are, even those who are more mature and strong in their faith, and those that weren't. I mean, all of them were saved just by walking through the dry ground that the Lord provided for them. It's a beautiful picture of God delivering everyone. And all these people had to do was to follow him, wasn't it? It's a great picture of faith. I mean, you know, I'm sure Israel walked through the sea in different ways. I think if it would be my three kids, they would have all walked through this sea in different ways. Uh, my youngest, Colette. Colette maybe would be boldly charging, maybe even with her eyes closed, charging with full of energy, her head down, stomping all the way to the other end. Uh, Celeste, may, Celeste maybe might be smiling. She'd be pretty happy, skipping along, singing her favourite song, maybe the odd cartwheel here or there. Clarice, Clarice on the other hand, maybe she'd be tiptoeing. Clarice might be tiptoeing, double-checking behind, seeing how close the enemy was coming. You know, she'd be strategically planning, mitigating risks five steps ahead. Now, I'm being a bit lighthearted here, but my point is that sometimes you might feel uh, that you're unsure if your faith is really real or if you really trust God enough to be part of his family. You know, maybe you feel that you just need a stronger faith or you just need to try harder on your faith or something. Uh, but this passage today tells us that no one's worthy, are we? It's only through the power of the Lord God that Israel is delivered. And no matter how you walk through the sea, you just need to walk with God's people and get to the other side. And for us, it's the same. It's only through the power of God that we are delivered from slavery to sin, from judgment and death. And this, ultimate, this power we ultimately see are demonstrated in Jesus, don't we? We saw redemption previously through the Passover, uh, that Jesus was also sacrificed for us. He'll sacrifice his life for us on the cross. And we see through the crossing of the Red Sea, this power of the Lord displayed to his people, to deliver his people. And for us, I think we see this in Jesus' power over death, in his resurrection. Uh, Jesus from the grave, now raised to life, God's ultimate control over all creation, even over death itself. Jesus from death to life, demonstrating the Lord by the power, delivering God's people. And the ultimate Moses, the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate all-powerful saviour, Jesus died for our redemption. He was raised to life so that we can have life everlasting. So do you know who the Lord is? Who is your Lord? 
applicable for Pharaoh and the Egyptians, it was all a bit too late. I mean, God was merciful and patient, but the time had come. With Pharaoh in his hard heart, he was proved to be a mere mortal. And God in his wonder and might is seen to be the most powerful of all. So friends, today is a really important day because it was too late for Pharaoh. He had his chances through the ten plagues, but if you're watching this now, it's not too late for you. What challenges and struggles and plagues do you face in your own life? Or maybe God's calling him back to calling you back to himself, uh, to trust and to fear in God. So do you know the Lord? Uh, the story of the crossing of the Red Sea uh, in Exodus, it demonstrates to us how the Lord delivers his people uh, through his faithfulness, his grace and his power. And we ultimately see this in Jesus, so we should trust in him. So who do you trust and who do you fear? We're currently living in unprecedented times, unprecedented fears, unprecedented life challenges. It's even unprecedented times to use the word unprecedented in church. And I know for me, it's been crazy too, hasn't it? I mean, there's been so many changes to my work life, my church, my family. Uh, there were ADF soldiers camping outside my hospital at the workplace the other day. Uh, there are colleagues that have to go and self-isolate, hospital wards getting locked down. Uh, there are changes with working from home, going for swabs when you just have a small sniffle, changing goalposts with everything. I mean, you only need to look at the masses of emails from everywhere in my inbox, updating me on all these different changes. And then there's stay at home, 2.0, masks and all. Uh, but when Israel was scared, Moses told them, do not be afraid. And when Israel wanted to run, and Moses told them to stand firm. And when Israel was in distress, and Moses told them to be still. And for us, our deliverance has also been done. The Lord's already been faithful. The Lord's already been gracious and he's demonstrated his power. The Lord has already delivered us, Jesus, from death to life. Praise God that our Redeemer lives. And so now we can live as Christ, as our life. Now we are secure and we can trust in him. So who do you trust? Who do you fear? You know, God saved Israel through Moses, delivering them through the sea. And God saves us as well through Jesus, through his faithfulness, his grace, his power, shown in his resurrection. So we should be still and trust him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, thanks that you show us that you are a faithful, a gracious, and a powerful God. You're a God who draws near to us. You did so in this ultimate act of Jesus on the cross. Our Lord, when times are tough, help us to not be afraid. And when we want to run and hide away, help us to stand firm. And we, when we try and trust in the other things apart from you, help us to be still. Oh Lord, help us to see your faithfulness, your grace and your power this day, and that we might put our trust in you. Amen.